0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 72. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are pew few Bibles, I hope, in front of you that you can grab one and turn to page 485. Psalm 72. The psalmist writes, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the moon grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all the kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land, on the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. The grass withers, the flowers fade. but the word of our God stand forever.
1: This morning as we look at Psalm 72, uh, the title is uh, Advent Justice, and that seems to be an appropriate topic when we talk about royal psalms. The kings of Israel uh, were called to execute justice. Uh, That is, especially since I've moved to Hernando, and the life of our own country uh, increasingly become a very hot topic. And so uh, this morning a couple of Reminders, Jim is not woke. I'm talking about justice this morning, but Jim is not woke. And if you hear something that causes your heart to stir uh, to think that Jim is uh, politicking this morning for Democrats or for Republicans, I would ask first that you come to me directly with those concerns. But I'm not a politician. Our politicians deal with issues that the Bible deals with because God cares about all of these issues. So it may seem like we start to talk about certain things, uh, particularly in the new year as we get into the book of Exodus case law, where we will talk about sexuality, uh, gender, we will talk about immigration, and all those things that Old Testament Israel had to deal with as a new nation. Uh, But I'm not politicking per se. Uh, from an American 21st century perspective, but this will be relevant to our current situation in many ways. Uh, This is attributed to King Solomon, probably the wisest leader uh, that ever lived besides the Lord Jesus himself, and it deals with this hot topic of justice. I will not answer all of your questions. I will not say everything there is to say about this topic. I'm preaching this one psalm. But there's two things to notice about justice here this morning. There is a present call for kingdom justice. There is also a future hope for kingdom justice. As we look at a present call for kingdom justice, I'm going to ask several questions. Firstly, what is it? What is this kingdom justice that's being referred to in Psalm 72 particularly? The Hebrew word for justice, uh, mishpat, and in this context, it can refer to a government or a king judging or exercising judicial rule. Verse 1 seems to indicate it's something that God has or He is, which is extremely important Right at the beginning, Solomon is saying, give the king your justice, O God. We don't get to define justice. 21st century Americans, in whatever context we find ourselves in, don't get to say to God, well, let me tell you what my definition is, what I think it means, what I've been through, what I think is unjust. Solomon and all the people sing this song in the temple saying, God, give Him your justice. That's an attribute of God. And God doesn't have a bucket of justice that He dips in. It's actually part of His character. Justice is something that God Himself embodies or is. We've already confessed this morning in our liturgy from Micah 6.8. This is a call on our lives. That we have often failed to do justice. It's something that is action-oriented. Something that we're to do. It's belonging to God here, but for us, we do it. Um, Tim Keller, I would argue, is also not woke. Has written a wonderful book that we will look at during some mercy training in a few months. I have here an extra copies. Other good books on the topic. As well. He defines justice in the Bible as giving people what they are due, whether punishment or protection or care. Obviously, that would be irrespective of class, of race. All other things, because the Bible says so. Leviticus twenty four, twenty-two says, have the same mishpat or justice for the foreigner as for the native. Exodus twenty-three, which we'll come to in a few months, verses three and six state, Don't pervert justice in the courtroom by showing partiality to the rich or to the poor. That would be unjust, according to the old testament case law. But again, verse 1 indicates that this is part of God or who He is, and that's echoed in Psalm 68, verses 4 and 5, describing God as a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. That's what He goes as, that's what He's known for, which is very countercultural in that day and in ours. It's important to see in verse 2. It says, may he judge your people with righteousness. That word for righteousness can mean a life of right relationships. As Alec Mateer says in his commentary on Isaiah, righteous are those right with God, and therefore committed to putting right all other relationships in life. Well, what would that refer to? Uh a couple of other texts that I have with me this morning. Uh, we, we've heard of the name Brian Fickard in these circles. He's a professor of Covenant College. He started at the Chalmers Center as I was a student there. He quotes from another book from Bryant Myers who points out that sin has disrupted our relationship to God and our relationship to ourselves and our relationship to each other and our relationship to all of the created world, And so that's a product of those disruptions is injustice. We we do this to other people because we're sinners. Everyone is a sinner. But again... What does it mean to do justice or be unjust? Uh, Kevin DeYoung will say justice as a biblical category is not synonymous with anything and everything we feel would be good for the world. That's a slap in the face to all American politicians in the 21st century. We just don't get to define this biblically in our own cultural moment based on whatever we're looking at in the newspaper right now. It's based on what God says and who He is. But again, what is justice simply giving people what they are due, whether punishment or protection or care? Secondly, what what does it do? We've talked a little bit about it. Well, what in Psalm 72 does justice do? What would a just king do or kingdom minded Christians do? Justice gives the vulnerable what they are due. How does it do that? Who are the vulnerable? Verse 2 says, to judge the poor with justice. Verse 4 says, defend the cause of the poor and deliver the children of the needy. Verse 12 says, to deliver the needy and poor, pity the weak and the needy. Those are several uh, verbs. Uh, There's other Old Testament categories for some of these people groups, these categories of peoples. While at Covenant College I studied philosophy and I was reminded it, it bakes no bread, so I did have to go to school longer. One one Christian author that I read, though, his name is Nicholas Walterstorff, and he coined the phrase the quartet of the vulnerable. In the Old Testament, he was referring to the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. A few of those are talked about here in Psalm seventy two. But they're not simply identity groups who claim to be oppressed. Especially identifying themselves in sinful ways. They're not simply oppressed. They're genuinely vulnerable in Old Testament society and possibly in our own society. Keller would add today, quite possibly in our context based on some of these groups, the quartet of the vulnerable, the refugee, the migrant worker, the homeless, many single parents, uh, and elderly. May I be bold to add one more? Those who are touched by a disability. People who are vulnerable. What do we do for them? What's this king of Israel supposed to do for these people who are vulnerable? Give them justice, defend them, deliver their children. Verse 14 says the king should redeem their lives from oppression and violence, meaning basically to spare them, to purchase them, so they don't have to face oppression and violence. Bring redemption in those situations where they can't. Why? Psalm 146 he executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves those who live justly. I could quote from Prophet Zechariah chapter seven, but Proverbs thirty-one eight says, "Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute." Deuteronomy twenty-seven nineteen: Cursed be anyone who withholds the justice due to the immigrant, the fatherless, and the widow. We could look at Job's life as a redeemer of these types of people. Psalm 33.5, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. I could say five to seven more passages from the Old Testament just like that. It's all over the place. But that's what it does. That's what justice looks like. But then we could ask, what what does it produce? In in a society where this is happening, what was Old Testament Israel supposed to look like? I'm glad you asked. The answer is in verse 3. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. The word for prosperity is the same word for peace, which in our Hebrew Old Testament doesn't just mean lack of conflict. It means completeness or wholeness or everything working the way it was designed to. Everything. So in our English translations, when it says prosperity, that's somewhat right, although that can be misleading. Because when we think of prosperity, what do we think of? Big bank accounts and big 401ks. Well, it could mean economic prosperity. Because that would be, in part, certain things coming together together in complete wholeness in peace and shalom it means so much more than that it means all of those things that sin has fractured my relationship with the lord because of my sin my relationship and understanding of myself that i'm not god my relationship with everybody else my relationship with all of the earth starts to come back together as it was intended that's the idea of this prosperity. That's what the king of Old Testament Israel is supposed to be bringing about in obedience to God's law, by correcting injustice, by promoting biblical justice. But another another and final question about this present kingdom justice is what does it require of us? What does it require of this king? If you look at verses 12 through 14, you would uh, notice a few things. I'll just put it succinctly. It requires pity or compassion. Why does this king deliver the needy when he calls in the poor and him who has no helper? Verse 13 says he has pity. He's not 100% self centered, self focused, self motivated, only concerned about his own prosperity, his own peace, his own kingdom, his own relationships, but has the desire and the ability for sacrifice, for generosity, for repentance and forgiveness in relationships to bring reconciliation. Why does he risk himself to save the lives of the needy, crush the oppressor in verse 4, redeem the needy from oppression and violence when it would be so much easier to be the rabbi in the Good Samaritan and just walk away? Because something has moved this king of Israel to pity people who are vulnerable. People who are less fortunate than him. Be it for a myriad of reasons and variety of life circumstances, this king should lead God's people to self-sacrifice, to compassion, to justice, to bring God's reign on earth as it is in heaven several several caveats here we should be a, we should be a people after righteous justice in our relationships the idea unfortunately of social justice is almost destroyed because our culture has hijacked the term that comes from the bible because the idea behind social justice is righteousness. Righteous justice. Because it points back to the writing of all relationships. There's a fracture because of sin. They have forgiveness of their sins in Old Testament. They're practicing the sacrificial system. They have a right covenant relationship with God. They are to go out as a people and practice this as we are too. We are not the same as Old Testament Israel. We don't have a king on earth right now leading us as God's people. Uh, we are still called to practice these things. What, what exactly does that look like? That's up for much debate, I have a book up here. Kevin DeYoung does a great job of focusing us on the fact that, and Keller would agree, the mission of the church is not to be the government. It's not to replace the government. It's not to do social services only. But it is word, prayer, and sacrament. What you could also say is justice work. Because again, we're looking at justice not simply in the lack of goods or oppression, but a dysfunctional relationship with God, self, all other relationships, and all creation, which the gospel addresses. It addresses all of it. But rather than only focusing on politics, which the confession of faith says we can get involved in with regards to the civil magistrate and Christian obedience, that's not ungodly. What would it look like for all of us to look at our own personal lives Say, how can I walk out righteous justice in my own relationships to bring gospel reconciliation, repentance, and forgiveness to my little corner, my little neighborhood, walking faithfully in my calling in Hernando, not taking, taking advantage of people, looking outside of my own self and my own needs to the needs of those who are vulnerable as the Bible would define that. Not as our country currently defines that. But these are calls for present actions of kingdom justice. Many of them in our own daily personal lives and our own callings, not simply as a corporate body, as the universal church. More conversations can be had on that. We've been discussing this for weeks in adult Sunday school. But why don't we see this now? Why didn't Old Testament Israel see more reflections of this? We, we already confessed from Micah 6-8 where the prophet Micah is trying to call God's people back to this. And they were failing. We failed this. We suffer injustice. As a church, we will probably continually, increasingly suffer injustice. Well, verses 5-11 through 11 point us, I think, to a future hope for kingdom justice. When will this happen? Well, there is, in a sense, a now and a not yet. There is a present or near future hope for these things, for King Solomon, for Old Testament Israel, that even though they don't see it perfectly throughout all of the earth, they are to practice these things, they are to do these things, they are to right wrongs, they are to be a voice for those who are voiceless. But it seems never-ending. The battle for those things to be righted. Will they ever be perfectly righted? There are various phrases in verses 5-11 through which I think clearly point to something something else altogether. Uh, Verse 5 mentions that this is going to be throughout all generations. Verse 7 says, "...till the moon be no more." Verse 8, "...from sea to sea and to the ends of the earth." And verse 11, "...may all nations serve Him." So it's an eventual, it's eventually a reign over all the people, over all of the earth. Now, that's partly probably aspirational from Solomon and for God's people then and now, but it it hasn't happened yet. And even verse 17 says, May his name endure forever. And again, all nations call him blessed. All these superlatives. That should remind us, though, of the covenant with Abraham. That that's the whole purpose of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their descendants would almost be so numerous as the stars in the sky that they would bless the nations and live out and walk out God's character among all of the nations. But brothers and sisters, we've not seen that yet. We've not seen perfect justice yet but there is a hope that it will happen in the future. Finally, well, who's going to do it? How's it going to come about? Who is this royal king? Not necessarily Solomon. Isaiah 42, a servant song, talking of a day when God's people were going in to bondage, into Babylon. God gave these words to Isaiah. Isaiah. wait for His law. We know that that is speaking of the Lord Jesus. He will not grow faint pursuing these things. He has already started the process. Because as He came into the earth and started His ministry, Mark one forty one says He was moved with pity. He stretched out His hand and said to a man, I will. Clean you. Be clean. He had the pity that we have lacked. We see this also in Matthew 20. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they covered their sight, recovered their sight and they followed Him. In verse 13 of Psalm 72, the use of pity, maybe even in the Greek, can be translated to spare or to be tender of, which is the exact language of Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Galatians 4, 5, Titus 2.14 say Christ came to redeem us by giving himself for us. Brothers and sisters, justice has been done on our behalf. Because Jesus has died as our ransom. He died for people who wouldn't show him pity, who wouldn't show him compassion, who wouldn't recognize him as the true king. He died for his enemies anyways to make us right with God in justification. We now have a right relationship with the father of the son We have a right relationship with Him. Therefore, we can start to live out in obedience our relationships to each other, to all of the creation, our understanding of ourselves as forgiven sinners. Justice work can begin in us because it already has been done in the power of the Spirit in our hearts. So therefore, as we walk out to do what seems to be impossible, even our intentions maligned by those on the right and the left. Deuteronomy 10 would remind us, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens. For you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. We look at the vulnerable and we should see ourselves before living life without the Lord Jesus is the most vulnerable a person could be. We who know Him should speak of Him, His perfect justice, until it is practiced on earth as it is in heaven, even though we know it won't right now perfectly. But as Isaiah 42 pointed to his first advent. We have the promise of his second advent, that when our king returns, all will be righted. Sin will be done. Let us be faithful to him until that day. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, a heavy topic touched on briefly. Very practical to all of our lives. Very confusing in our cultural moment. Lord Christ, would you use Psalm 72, the promise that your justice will be made perfect one day to help us to encourage us that we who have been set free from sin can speak of and practice what justice actually looks like and means. For those of us who have callings to do so vocationally, would you encourage us, especially as our culture goes further and further away from your Word and your understanding of justice. May justice... Rule and reign in Hernando, as you have so many believers practicing, practicing it today, including us. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.